<laughs> um, I love to how often when we come to church, everything lines up, hey, when we were at band practice on Thursday and Beck and Ruth were sharing about the songs on their heart and I was sharing a bit about what God has put on my heart and just everything has uh, ran together really well this morning. So I'm excited to just um, bring a word this morning. I know that God's already ministering to us and really wants to continue to. I think um, there's a significant word God wants me to bring this morning. But I just wanted to say on the note of songs, I was talking about that No Longer Slave songs being a powerful declaration. Another song I've been listening to lately is called Not Today from Hillsong. Has anyone heard that from the Wonder Album? It's an awesome song. We sang it um, in pre-service prayer this morning. And the lyrics go something like this. Fear must have thought I was faithless when it came for my heart because I got a song that will never die. I know your love is the reason why. Fear is a liar running out of breath. Tell the devil, no, not today. I just think that's so cool. And if there's anyone here who is struggling with fear this morning, may you be encouraged. Um, Tell the devil, no, not today. And how profound is that? Fear is a liar and it's running out of breath. So, amen. Let's stand on that. And we're no longer a slave to it, like that song said earlier that we sang. Okay. And I don't know if anyone else has felt this, a bit of, the season we're in lately is it just seems like there's some old stuff cropping up, whether it's fear or intimidation or whether it's financial battles or battles of sickness. Um, Josh and I have just noticed that in our lives, probably some things that we were battling six to 12 months ago, all of a sudden have sprung up again. Um, For me, personally, my health was pretty good. I wasn't having migraines and thank you church for praying for me. I know last year you prayed a lot for us and something really lifted off me and uh, we, the, the memories of our cars breaking down and dying were kind of distant memories. We kind of forgotten about that. That was last year and it was, we just felt like we'd been in a new season, which is great, until a few weeks ago and all in the same week or so, Josh's car kind of broke down again and the repairs seemed to be, uh, we thought were just going to be little, but they were quite extensive and then our washing machine broke and our dryer broke and our microwave broke and all of a sudden we noticed the kids' shoes were falling to pieces. We're like, yeah. And, like, there was just lots of little things going on, specialists and doctor's bills. And um, before all of this even happened, I got a migraine. You might have thought this migraine would have happened after that. But, no, the migraine happened first. And I just started to feel sick again. And Josh was like, I don't like this. This feels like last year. And I thought, that's so true. It did feel like last year. And uh, I think it was probably just part of the enemy's attempt to try some old stuff on. You know, often when we overcome something a week later or two weeks later or six months or six years later, sometimes the enemy will come back around again and just say, I'm just going to see if I can creep in there and uh, maybe they'll forget that they uh, conquered that thing. And a- around the same time, I guess, uh, probably not coincidentally, I was talking to a few different people in this church and one had said to me, all of a sudden I've just randomly been struggling with anxiety again or just felt this depressive waves coming again when I felt like I had overcome these things or I was having, some people said financial battles, some people said health battles and that week there was probably five or six different people who just said to me, something's creeping in again that I thought I had overcome. How not subtle is the enemy? (laughs) It's so obvious that all of a sudden I think the enemy was like, I'm just going to have a go again. These people think they can just relax and I'm going to, you know, just see if they're going to stand on the authority that Jesus has given them and so I'm going to talk a little bit more into this and the season that we're in. As I said, I feel the enemy's trying to read some old stuff, but I think we need to tell him not today. That was last year. We're in a new season. We're not going to let him try that on. And last time I spoke, I spoke a little bit on this too. I spoke on Esther, the story of Esther and how 
Haman had a gallows all constructed for Mordecai to hang him and how he wanted to um, annihilate the Jews. He had a plan to destroy all of the Jews, Esther's people. But how in a moment that all turned and Haman ended up being hung on his own gallows and the Jews were freed. And I believe that's the season we're in where God is turning the tables in a moment. And again, I'm going to speak on it. But I forgot to tell you when I did this message um, on Esther because it was a whirlwind and Everything is crazy and I just forgot. But when I went to the costume shop the day before to get all the gear, because I was getting stuff for Queen, Queen, so I was like getting feather bowers and crowns and things and, and I was getting stuff for Queen Vashti, like handcuffs and the guy at the um, costume shop's like, you're going to have a fun night tonight, aren't you? And I'm like, oh no, this is for a play at church. <laughs> and I had Taj with me and he's like, a play? I was like, oh, I'm not even going to bother. Anyway, I should, should send him some photos of Larry and Tom all just up in the gear on stage. Um, anyway, that was throwback to that sermon. Um, but as I said, things are turning in a moment and um, what the enemy has used to try and destroy you, I believe God is going to turn around and you're going to use that to destroy the enemy. And I'm going to talk a bit out of Ezekiel 37 in a moment and it's going to back up what I'm saying. But obviously that story of Esther is an amazing picture of victory deliverance and freedom and it is the season we're in where I believe God is calling us to apprehend something of his purpose and something of his victory but there is a hell fight for it the enemy's not just going to sit down and be like here's the victory I really feel at the moment he's panicking because he knows we're that close to a generation being delivered like conference the young people here are experiencing revival he knows that we're on the threshold of stepping into something big we're looking at you know building next generation Big city really upgrades for our youth and kids. It's not what you do in a small town. We're breaking something of poverty. We're stepping out. And you guys as a church are amazing. And I just think the enemy's a little bit scared. Uh, and another part I love of that song, Not Today, another few words in there that kind of just go along with this and just send shivers down my spine. But it says, tell me, did the enemy panic as you took up that cross? obviously talking to Jesus, tell me, did the darkness cry mercy as you roll back that rock? And I just think, again, I think the enemy's panicking. I think there's some people picking up their cross. I think there's some darkness that knows it's losing its grip. And as I said, the enemy's panicking. Maybe this morning you've picked up your cross and it scared the enemy. Uh, Before I go on, just in case anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, what does it mean to pick up your cross? When Jesus picked up the cross, it was him saying yes to God's plan for his life, yes to being part of God's divine and glorious plan to set all of humanity free. It was him denying his own will, his own feelings, his own comfort. It was immense what Jesus carried for all of us, for all of humanity. And it probably wasn't something he was looking forward to terribly. He actually asked God, is there any any other way? Then he said, but not will, my will, but yours. And I think that's what it means to take up a cross. It's not necessarily comfortable, but it's doing, saying we're going to say yes to God's will and God's purpose for our life. And you know, Jesus carried all that weight of sin and death on the cross. He carried that on him so that we didn't have to carry that. I'm sure most of you know this. But for those who might have just forgotten, when we stuff up, we don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to come under condemnation. We just say, God... I'm sorry I stuffed up, I'm really struggling here just to be a good person or I'm struggling just to get through in life and I need your help and I want to follow you and not do things my own way. Jesus died on the cross so that we can do life with God, so that we can get his help, so we don't have to carry the weight of the things and the failings that we, the things we do wrong and our failings. 
And now when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see us as failures. He doesn't see sin. And he sees us in his likeness as sons and daughters. And Jesus paid the price on that cross so we could be part of God's family. And Josh is going to talk a little bit more next week, actually, on God's family and what it looks like to be part of that. And it's going to be a great message. I don't have time to go into it entirely. And for those of you... Uh, who don't know before the cross it was more like law you have to do this and this and this you have to sacrifice these animals if you do something wrong but now we don't have to sacrifice animals the sacrifices of God who knows this first are a broken and a contrite heart do you know what I don't even think fancy words are needed if we want to follow Jesus if we want to do life with him I don't think you have to say a certain prayer I just think it's a heart exchange and God sees our heart and if we're broken and we're struggling and we're just crying out to God in desperation. He sees that. He's so faithful to hear us and to reach out and let's not, I guess, make it too complicated. I don't think God's looking for methods. Um, anyway, that was just a little digression onto um, Jesus, but I guess it's a very important digression. I believe that choosing to do life with God and to reach out to him is probably the most important, it's the most important decision I ever made. Okay, so Jesus took up his cross. Coming back to that, the enemy would have been panicking. Maybe you've said yes to God's purpose, as I said, and maybe it scared the enemy. Maybe he panicked and pulled out all the stops to get you to drop that cross. Can I turn the lights off above me? Because I'm getting glare off my um, plastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, that is one. That's perfect. Um, anyway, maybe the battles you faced as a result, maybe you were like, I'm going to serve God, and then all of a sudden it got too hard, and you're like, too hard, I'm putting that cross down. Maybe you're scared to keep pushing on. Maybe you're feeling a bit dry and worn out and like you can't keep going on. I really want to speak into that this morning. In a similar vein to what I bought on Esther a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I really feel that God's going to use the enemy's plans, what he's used to try and throw you off course. He's going to turn them around and use them to devour the enemy. So in Ezekiel 37, as I said, I'm going to share on this. I'm just going to read it out of my Bible. This is what it says about the valley of dry bones. I think it's a pretty awesome scripture. And Ezekiel is a prophet, someone who's bringing the word of God to God's people. And this is what happens. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Lord says. Come from the four winds, breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up, stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And maybe there's some people here this morning that are like, I'm, a bit, I'm feeling a bit hopeless. I'm feeling a bit dead. 
Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will settle in your own land. Then you will know that I, God, have spoken, declares the Lord. And I just think that's uh, such a powerful scripture and I think a picture of something that God is doing at the moment. So three few things, uh, three points I have on this, Ezekiel 37. Scripture, the first one, I feel there's some dry bones here this morning. It's not a question of, is there dry bones here? Is anyone feeling dry? I felt God show me there's some dry bones here. The question is not if, but what are we going to do about this? So secondly, as this verse says, I believe that God is bringing breath to the dryness, to the hopelessness, to the apathy, to, yeah, the dead things here this morning, the barrenness. And I think it's interesting, in this story, first came the sinews and the muscle and the skin, and then came the breath, and it very clearly says the bones stood up and skin and muscle was on them, but there was no breath. And, you know, with the body, we can have our organs and our muscles and skin, all those things, but if we don't have oxygen in us, in our blood and pumping, I guess, life to our organs... We can have the form and the shape of a living body, but we're not actually living and thriving. And I think it's possible to have the appearance of a Christian. I'm not dead. I've got skin and muscle. I can function. Yes, you can function, but without the breath of God, it's a fairly lifeless, empty functioning. How many know this is a deadly serious image of many Christians today? The appearance of faith and spirituality going through, through the motions, but with no substance, life or fruit. And again, who knows that flesh and human nature, without the touch of God, in fact, probably causes more harm than good. Maybe dry, dead bones is better than halfway in between. God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm because I'll spit you out of my mouth. You know, we're meant to be salt, bringing out the God flavor in the world and preserving the goodness in our worlds, as Yusef spoke so well on a few weeks ago. But if we're lukewarm, we've lost our saltiness. We can't do that. And seem to be sharing a lot of Josh's stories lately, but here I go again. <laughs> Josh has stories of friends who he was actually connecting with and they were really beginning to soften towards God and just becoming curious and being drawn to God. But at the same time, this was happening. There were some other Christians in the young man's life who he was, I guess, ministering to, who were like going out drinking and they were just becoming a drunken mess and they were smoking drugs and probably living not very integrous um, in their relationships and Josh said he clearly remembers his friends watching on and thinking why would we want to choose God it looks like exactly what we do if not worse it doesn't look that great it looks like compromise it looks like hypocrisy and their hearts were actually hardened it wasn't salt and light bringing out the God flavor in the world it's the opposite of what Lisa was talking about being an example of God and in a way all that Josh had poured into these men, all the relational collateral, was actually cancelled out by the actions of some hypocritic, apathetic Christians. And I think we'd really have to be careful. That's why God says, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth, be hot or cold, because who knows, lukewarmness is like poison to those searching for God in our lives. And, and you know, there was probably other factors at play. Yes, God is greater also than a dodgy witness of a Christian or two, and we aren't perfect as Christians. And people need to see that. But as I said, is what we learned from this, and there's been other experiences. I know my parents have had similar experiences with people. As I said, 
Hypocrisy in saying one thing but living another way, again, I'll say it is like poison to those searching. So what a challenge to live hot, sold out, passionately for God, uncompromisingly, or better, walk away if you don't feel you can do that. That would be better than pretending you're living for God and being obedient when you're actually not. And a last thing on this, a lukewarmness can be a lot more subtle than getting drunk or living in sexual immorality. It could be self-focus, apathy, greed, our ways of thinking, unbelief, saying I have faith in God, but I guess not living a life that actually shows you have faith in him. And for me, unbelief is a big one. Uh, I may not battle with the more obvious things, like I'm not really drawn to alcohol as such. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be rather sensible when it comes to relationships. It's just my nature. If I felt a relationship was becoming compromising or pushing the boundaries, I'd step away. I've just always felt the conviction of God strongly in my life in those areas and probably um, having praying parents and grandparents and great kids and youth pastors and a loving church family really set me up to flourish in that sense. And I guess I kind of felt, why compromise yourself for physical affection if you know who you are and you know that you're loved? And I know some really do battle with knowing they're loved and I don't want to make small of that. As I said, I did, I did have my own battles. I battled with insecurity growing up, and I still do. I just probably had different coping mechanisms. I didn't turn to men to validate me, but I just battled internally. And um, I'll come back to that in a minute. But other than praying parents and grandparents and a great church family and kids pastors, youth pastors, pastors, etc., I also think there's no substitute for simply listening to God, the still small voice of God saying, be careful here, Sarah, danger, danger, retreat. And don't ignore that, guys. I encourage you. I do believe God leads us and he wants the best for us. So he warns us if we're getting into dangerous situations. And, you know, those praying people in my life actually probably made it easier for me to hear that still small voice because the world we live in is noisy and bright and distracting. But if we can just quieten that and focus in on God, I really do believe he'll lead us. As John Garrett said a couple of weeks ago, we can so easily become desensitized. But I think God can actually rewire our sensitivities in that area so I guess my life could seem kind of boring when I say I haven't really battled with this this and this but as I said hold the press my battle was internal and I did battle an eating disorder throughout most of my teenage years and it was a battle of the mind my ways of thinking were broken and it just wasn't as obvious as maybe well it was when I got really skinny but up until that point it wasn't as obvious but I did feel God lead me again with his still small voice through that very dark time I remember my parents agonizing over me, what has become of our strong and confident daughter, and it was a stressful time for my family. Sorry, family, they might listen to this later. Um, but my grandpa, David, some of you will know him, he was like the pastor of this church a couple of pastors back, he's a legend. He came to my parents in this time when I know they were just stressed to the max, and he said, do not fret, Mark and Liz, God's got Sarah, and his Holy Spirit will lead her, that's still small voice and he told me that too and he said look sorry no this is really hard for you but I really believe God is going to lead you and it was such an encouragement for my parents but also for me because I so wanted to be free I didn't want to be in that dark restricted isolated place I wanted to get better I just didn't know how and and God did lead me by his still small voice and I believe for us no matter what we're in how dark or how far we might feel we are from God or his purpose God can always lead us back on track if we're willing just to listen to him and let him lead us step by step and you know um, as I said I wanted to be free 
of just of that torment. But it wasn't as simple as just eating. That freaked me out for one. And there was this movie, uh, <coughs> which I'm going to talk a little bit about in a moment, but it's called The Road Within. Has anyone seen that? I thought you wouldn't have. Anyway, it's, um, it's a great movie, and it's about three young people who are all battling uh, mental illness or illness of some form. One has Tourette's, one girl has an eating disorder, and one boy has this severe OCD. And the boy with... <laughs> they go to a mental facility together to get better, and then they escape, and it's so funny but also really tragic and profound at the same time. But anyway, the boy with Tourette says to the girl with anorexia, they're in the same mental facility, why don't you just eat? And she says, it's not that simple. And he said, my brain is broken. Like, I can't do anything to fix it. It's all you have to do is eat. And I think that's such a profound thing. We think, what does, why don't people with anorexia just eat? They're, like, they're, why are they digging their own graves, I guess, in a way? But as I said, it's not that simple for me. It was a complex web. I was in a fear and control and hopelessness and probably compulsive habits. But strand by strand, God led me free of that web. And I'm so grateful for that. So grateful to be standing here today free of that. And it's not the only time that God has tangibly led me free of my own ways of thinking. I could share so many stories. I don't have time to share them all now. And I know I'm kind of dwelling on this topic, but I feel it might just be for one person here who's battling. And you know, most people battling an addiction or a compulsive way of thinking and living hate the restriction they live with. They hate being dictated to by that habit or that way of thinking. And they recognize their world has become smaller and smaller and that they're living in fear or control and they so desperately want to be free but they just don't know how and that was my story. And again, I was going to show a clip from this movie, um, The Road Within. <clears throat> I watched this movie on the plane to New Zealand and it really spoke to me and I could just resonate with, I guess, some of the things that were happening in the movie but because it was on the plane and kids can watch it, there was no swearing, there was no sex scenes. It was just a lovely, beautiful watch. And then I got home and I wanted to use some of it for this sermon and I wanted to show Josh and I put in the DVD player at home and it's just like full on swearing the whole way through. And it's mostly the young boy with Tourette's. He's having ticking episodes and he can't control it. He just like shoots off the most profane swear words. Um, and so I'm like, I don't think I can play this in church, especially after John's message. Um, <laughs> And we were looking through it this morning trying to bleep out the swear words, but there would have been nothing left almost. So I'm just going to... Why do movies have to do this? So I'm just going to have to say some of the quotes. And um, I've already said one. But the thing that I wanted to pull out of it... Hang on, I'll just make sure. Um, yeah, so the young boy... <clears throat> there we go. So the one in the middle has the um, Tourette's. The girl has the eating disorder, anorexia, and the guy on my left, has um, severe OCD, like really severe. And he says, in a moment, when they are, I said earlier, they escape the mental facility and go on this adventure together. They kind of, the other two kind of kidnap the guy on the left and it's just hilarious. But um, in this moment where they're all quietly sitting there, he says to his friends, or actually, I should say this, um, they, they run away with no money. And um, so they kind of have to steal things from service stations. And this guy who's quite straight and didn't want to be part of it with the OCD, he actually goes in and steals some things from the service station and they race off in the car together. And they're all like, wow, that's like really, it shocked them. But anyway, he opens up and says to them that he actually had money hidden and he paid the service station attendant for everything and paid him to chase him because he just wanted to look cool and be accepted by these guys. And they're like, what? You've had money this whole time? We've been starving. And like, anyway... <coughs> 
And he said, I, and I said, why did you do that? He said, I just wanted you guys to like me. And um, I said, why? Like, and he said, you don't understand what it's like. I think I have a lot to offer, but these stupid rituals just take over everything. This thing has made my world smaller and smaller. I'm stuck in a clinic. I'd give anything to be free of this. It doesn't stop and it's not my fault. And I was just like, oh, that hit home for me because I know exactly what it's like to feel like that. And I know for some, maybe you feel like that. You're stuck in these rituals that just make your world smaller and smaller. And I believe that God wants to bring some freedom in that area this morning. And as that young man said, I'd give anything to be free. Where do we start? How do we get freedom when we're facing these internal battles, especially relating to fear and control and ways of thinking like I did and like that young man in the movie did? Oh, and I was going to say, actually, <laughs> I didn't know if I should say go home and watch the movie. Maybe you just need to go on a plane to New Zealand and watch it. Although I'm sure some of you are probably going to rent it now because I've said it's so colourful. <laughs> More determined. Um, anyway, so how do you become free? I believe, firstly, three quick points. You always can talk to someone, especially a friend, if you're struggling. Don't hold it internally. No one's going to judge you. If you're facing something, talk to someone. We're here to champion one another. Secondly, a counsellor or a psychologist is often vital when we're talking about, like what I'm talking about, um, for ways of thinking and compulsive habits, etc. It's always a battle to get professional help, I believe, um, but I think that's really key. It was key for me. And thirdly, last but not least, God will lead you. As I said, that still small voice, and I believe for some of you this morning, God's saying, I'm going to lead you. As you just step out and you're willing to, you know, just you cry out for freedom, God's going to help you step by step. And <clears throat> even this week for me, as I said, my battle's ways of thinking. Uh, I was probably battling unbelief again. I had a bit of a hell of a week, and, and many can probably relate. I know talking to the team uh, in pre-service prayer, lots of people had a hard week. But Josh and I were like, oh, we're going to get through this week. It was just a hard week. And I was like, hello, I'm getting up to talk to the church. I'm God breaking through and taking up your cross and victory and faith. And I'm like, God, are you even going to get us through this week? And I thought, I've got to get my gear together before I get up and speak. Or when I'm struggling to get my gear together, which is most of the time, cry out to God in desperation. God, please help me. I believe it helped my unbelief. It's often something I pray because, I, as I said, I just get caught up in my own mind and try and figure everything out and you can't figure everything out and I guess our prayer went something a bit like this this week we simply cannot do it without you coming through miraculously God and isn't it grand living in miracle territory where the stretch is so real that if God doesn't come through it's going to be one big glorious mess and that's faith where you're just like if God doesn't come through this is going to be terrible but we trust you can come through and you know Josh has said it to the team before <clears throat> he doesn't feel comfortable doing what we're doing here and the moment that he feels comfortable and I guess finds this easy leading people and, and leading a church, then we probably shouldn't be doing it because I don't think God has called us to do things that are in our comfort zone. If we're comfortable, we probably need to be moving on to something else or stepping out in another area. <coughs> and I know, <coughs> excuse me, we've spoken about this again with the team, but Josh will talk about this again next time he speaks, but there's a difference between the call of God and the peace of God. Sometimes we get them confused and they don't necessarily coexist. But continuing on, as I said, Josh and I prayed together this week. We held hands one night in bed and we were just like, God, we don't know how we're going to get everything done this week, let alone in the weeks to come. We have book work and administrative tasks up to here that we're getting behind on. Um, we have this, this, this and this delicate issue to deal with in church life. We have the following important meetings to prepare for just this week. Our family needs us. There's home readers, projects, homework, 
galore. The family also need dinner on the table, and I'm sure many of you can relate. Toasted sandwiches aren't probably the most nutritionally balanced diet every night of the week. Um, we aren't sure how to do it all, and not to mention squeezing time in to actually connect with our kids, to play with them, to listen to them, because homework and home readers and projects don't really count. Um, let alone time to talk to each other. Does that ever happen, married couples with kids? John and Jenny, do you get that now? A little bit? <laughs> um, and how on earth are we going to bring a word to your people on Sunday with authority and strength that makes sense, that equips and empowers and is actually worthwhile? And we have to wait till the end to see if God came through on that one. Uh, and then I often think about our neighbours. We're often so busy and head down, bum up, or coming home exhausted that like we're meant to be a blessing to them. We, it's just ships passing in the night and we barely have a chance to talk to them. And as most of you can relate, there's so many important things on our plate requiring attention, wisdom, time, energy and prayer. And for Josh and I, most of the time we're like, God, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what's next. Lead us. We need you so bad. Does anyone else pray prayers like that? I think it's, it's a scary place to be in, but it's a good place to be in. And you do see God come through. And if he doesn't, you learn. <laughs> Uh, and again, I don't want pity. This is sh- I want this to show how God carries us when we cry out to him. And it's also trying to illustrate that I battle with my ways of thinking. Am I trusting God when in the chaos of life or am I trying to manage and control the life out of life? And I did feel for my family this week. It was an extraordinarily pressured week and I probably got a bit grumpy and stressed and Josh is like, who have I married? Um, but I'm learning to submit my emotions to God and my stresses. And again, we're continually trying to find balance in our lives and seek God. Do we need to let anything go? What do we need to keep? What's wise? What's not? And um, trying to find the balance. But I think balance is very elusive. But all of this to say, this was all under um, God breathing life on us. If you're a bit dry or strung out or stretched this morning, I believe God's going to bring some life on you, especially if you can relate to what I said. All right, so the first point was, we've got some dry bones here. The second point is, what are we going to do about it? Um, I believe God's breathing life. So whether, maybe you've laid down your cross, maybe it all got a bit hard. I believe God's going to breathe some fresh life and courage on you this morning to pick up that cross and keep going. Maybe you've given up on God's purpose. Again, he's going to breathe on you afresh. Maybe you're lukewarm and you recognize there's some apathy you're fighting. God's breathing on you this morning. Make a decision to let him in and kindle that fire in you that's all but out. Maybe you're battling a sin or an addiction, a way of thinking that's devouring you. God is breathing life into you this morning and wanting to lead you. Listen to him. Don't ignore that still, small voice. So he's speaking this morning. Let him in. So that's all in number two. God's breathing on the dry bones, whatever that might look like for you. Three, third point. On Ezekiel 37, as the breath came to the valley of dry bones, now fleshed out, an army arose. So God's breathing on the lifelessness, but it wasn't just people stood up covered in flesh. They then assembled into a mighty army. And a few weeks ago at worship practice, when we were practicing, we had this amazing moment of just free worship and seeking God. And it felt like the heavens were open and God was speaking. And it was just a really beautiful moment. And I said to the band at the end of that, what did you all see in that moment? And I think both Ron and Jen Campbell said, in that moment, we saw an army arising and assembling. And I believe that prophetically, the worship team, as they often do, go before and they were seeing what God is doing. He's calling us as an army to assemble. And you guys would see on the worship team lately, there's a fresh strength and prophetic edge. And they're going before us so that we can step into the fullness of God's purpose for our community and and for our nation. And I think this morning, God's saying, all right, church, let's do this. Step up assemble let the breath of life come on to you just um 
And whatever the enemy has used to destroy you, you're going to use that to actually destroy the enemy. And I'm going to talk about what that looked like in Ezekiel 37 in a moment, just like it looked like in the story of Esther. And if you can go home and read Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39, or more or less, like it's awesome. There is so much in it. I could just speak forever on it, but I'm just going to have to pull out a couple of things for now. Maybe I'll unpack it more later. But how often do we just hear the story of the dry bones? Like, I know that, but I haven't probably looked at before and after as much. But there's so much in it. But I just do want to say briefly, actually, I might get the band up now, if that's okay. And we're going to sing So Will I. But what happened after the dry bone army arose? Well, firstly, it talks about in Ezekiel 37, verse 15 to 27, straight after, that actually God unified the people and where there was divisions of tribes, that God brought them all together as one and he poured out a great blessing on them. And I believe this morning, as I said, we're coming together in, as one and there's going to be a great blessing that flows. Secondly, the people's enemies were defeated. Israel's enemies were defeated. God destroyed them completely annihilated them like the scriptures on it is intense and I'm going to read some of them in a minute he forgave Israel for all of their failings and who knows I was talking about before sin and addiction and ways of thinking struggles God said you know look I can see you've been struggling I can see you've been worshipping the wrong things but he's so faithful and just to forgive and he said to Israel I'm going to forgive you and not only that I'm going to destroy all your enemies and you're going to use the weapons that they were using to destroy you as fire to actually fuel you on and you're going to see your enemies defeated for years to come Israel didn't do anything they were just dry dead bones and God said, you know what? I'm just going to breathe life on you. They came to life. An army arose. They defeated their enemies and the world was changed. And I believe this morning, church, that's what hap- is happening. God's breathing life on you. He's going to bless your socks off. He's going to equip you to defeat those battles that you've been facing. And just a little snap it out of Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is what God said about the enemies. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog. This is the enemy the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince. I will turn you around. I'll put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army. Your horses, your horsemen, fully armed and a great horde with large and small shields. It goes on. Get ready, be prepared. You and all the hordes gathered about you and take command of them. After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations and now all of them live in safety. And it goes on and says, you will go up advancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. And you know, Gog actually means cloud or roof covering. And I just think there's been a covering of darkness over this church and over the people of God that's restricted and limited, that God wants to break. And that's this Gog thing that God's speaking against, that darkness and that covering that's restricted. God's going to break that. And it says here, Ezekiel says to Gog, you will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. I will plunder and loot and turn my hands against the resettled ruins. And I just think that's interesting Gog had a plan to come back when the people were peaceful and settled. And I just spoke about feeling like we'd overcome some battles and maybe settling in a bit and then the enemy coming in. I think that's what God, that's what's been happening in the spirit. But this is what was happening. God knew. God knew the enemy would come back when the people were settled. And then God says, therefore, say to Gog, I know this is long, but it's prophetic and it's important. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day, 
When my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? You will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land in the days to come, Gog. I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know that I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Maybe there's been some assignments of the enemy that God is actually using to bring His name glory. And if everyone wants to stand, this is just my favourite part. And it goes on and on about how God's just going to destroy the enemy when he comes against the people of God and thinks he's got the upper hand. And then in Ezekiel 39, God says, I am against you, Gog. It's jolly Gog. Sounds like something out of Avengers. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel, you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. God's striking the weapons out of the enemy's hands prophetically right now. They're dropping. And then it goes on to say that there's going to be slain armies in all the fields around Israel. There's going to be so many dead people that God says to the people of Israel, you're to go for seven years and collect the weapons of the dead enemy and use them as fuel in your fire to cook and live. You're not even going to need to collect firewood because there is going to be so many dead enemies around you. You're going to use their weapons as fuel for your fire. And I just love that prophetic picture. I'm going to have to skip my notes because I'm just getting to the crux of it now. People that fear that intimidation, that habit that was holding you, that was forged by the enemy to destroy you. You're taking that as plunder from the defeated enemy's camp and it's going to be the fuel that lights your fire for years to come. I remember what it was like being beaten up by the weapon of fear for years and I'm going to use that passion to drive me to see others free. I know how hellish it was and I don't want to see anyone else living under that, that financial restriction that almost destroyed your marriage and destroyed your family. You're taking that weapon and you're going to use it as fire to see others set free from that same thing that almost destroyed you, that addiction that's held you captive. God's knocking that weapon out of the enemy's hand as clear as day. You're going to pick it up and you're going to use it to see other people set free from darkness darkness, that apathy you've been struggling with. God's going to breathe life into you afresh. And you know, that dead, those dead bones, as I said, they didn't do anything. God breathed breath and they stood. That apathy's breaking this morning. You're going to step up with fresh courage, fresh passion in your heart. And you're going to serve God and run with His purpose and His passion like you never have before with more conviction and strength and courage than you've ever known. The enemy's plans have been thwarted. Pick up the weapons he was using to destroy you. Throw them in your fire and use them to fuel you for the years and years to come. Maybe life's got a little bit crazy. Maybe you've dropped your cross. Maybe it was all too hard. God's saying this morning, pick up your cross, pay the price. Yes, the enemy may panic because he knows what's ahead. He knows there's victory. Don't give up if that was you. Carry that cross. There's people's eternities at stake. As Lisa said, it's not just about us, it's about others. Your own joy is at stake. I know if I were to run from the call of God and drop my cross, I don't think I would ever truly be happy because I know deep down it's what God has for me and it's just the cry of my heart to serve God for all the days of my life. So finalising, finishing it up, it's a new day, church. The enemy's trying to rear his head again. He's seen us living in peace and safety. He's seen the dry bones army arising, but he is defeated and God's going to show himself victorious. He's breathing on you this morning. Take it in. Dead bones are coming back to life. An army is arising and we're walking out of here differently this morning, church. Leave behind the addictions, leave behind the apathy, whatever the struggle has been, the wrong ways of thinking, surrender it to God.
I'm going to pray. And in a minute, as I said, we're going to sing, So Will I. But again, like I said, the lyrics are just perfect. If you left the grave behind, God, so will I. Leave the grave behind. If you gladly chose surrender, God, so will I. We're choosing surrender this morning. So if this message has spoken to you in any way, I just encourage you to raise a hand. and I'm just going to believe for an impartation, a breath of fresh life. God, I thank you so much for this church. We recognise there's been some dead bones, some dryness, some barrenness. And I just thank you that this morning, prophetically, there is a breath of fresh life coming from your spirit. It's not from me, it's from you, God. It's from the heavens. It's straight from heaven. I just thank you for that breath of fresh life coming into the dryness, the barrenness, the hopelessness. For those who have felt like giving up, God, I just thank you. An injection of life and hope and strength and courage. And I thank you we will pick up what the enemy has used to destroy us. And we will use that as fuel for our fire to actually see the kingdom of darkness pushed back and the kingdom of heaven advance. I thank you for your abundant blessing upon each and every one here. May we listen to that still small voice. May we not tune out to you, God. We just thank you for who you are. I thank you for freedom, for all that you have helped us with thus far, and that you will continue to lead us as a mighty army here at Highway, and we're so excited for what you have ahead. Amen. Thank you, team. Lead us away. Stop. 